It's time to live out your faith in the business arena. It's time to discover biblical wisdom for business success. It's time to connect with kingdom leaders in the trenches through inspiring interviews, timely conversations, and much more. It's time for the Nourish the Dream podcast with David G. Johnson and Dean Burnside. All right, welcome to another episode of the Nourish the Dream podcast. Dean, how are you? Great, David G. Good to see you, bro. Let's, uh, I'm excited about who we're talking to today. Let's get right well, into it. Well, let's do that. We have a great opportunity, and, and Dean, you're, uh, you're on Skype today. We're, I'm looking at you, but we're not in the same room. I love technology yet again. And uh, yes, I do have the face for Skype yes, yes. Um, <laughs> or for, for radio. <laughs> but that voice you hear laughing in the background is someone that I have gotten to know over the last few years. And I am so privileged, Dean, to be able to put you on a call with Wes Cantrell today. Wes, how are I'm you? I'm great. Just doing great. Thank you. David, did you say Wes Cantrell? I'm so I'm so excited about this because <laughs> Dean, why don't you tell for the sake of everybody listening, tell us about your start in your sales I mean, career. I have history with Wes Cantrell. He used to sign my paychecks. <laughs> it was thirty years ago. I graduated from Miami of Ohio in nineteen eighty two, married the woman of my dreams two weeks later, moved to Florida one week later, got a sales job just kinda to have a job. And the first day of January, 1983, I had the privilege of starting a professional sales career with Lanier Business Products, selling 3M copy machines, that on that day that I started, they introduced the brand new 3M 526 copier that was a single feed, plain paper copier, small compact. It was amazing. It made copies. Oh, wow. It, it actually would make a copy, David. And, and Wes, you probably remember these days. Um, as opposed to a rolled paper machine with this liquid toner that was a mess and you couldn't write on it, slick paper, all that noise. And we were, we were introducing – they introduced a brand-new copier that day that I got to be there for the opening kickoff introduction. And it changed my life forever because I, I worked there for two years – uh, had some of the best sales training of my life that has lasted me through this day 30 years later. I'm still in professional sales um, and own our own pest control company, as you know. But it all started at Lanier. And Wes Cantrell was the president of the whole company at the time. I never dreamed I'd have an opportunity to interview him right here on Skype. <laughs> well, Wes, um, you know, this goes back to conversations you and I have had in the past that you know maybe our listeners are not privy to but one of the things that you did during your time at Lanier was you were part of constructing a world-class sales culture and uh, it's, it's so great to see that validated you know Dean and I met about a year ago but Wes you and I have had many conversations you speak for our Nourish the Dream conferences uh, and and are always such a blessing to the audience but we had the privilege of celebrating with you birthday number 78 back in January, you were so kind to decide to spend your birthday weekend with us and our audience in Phoenix. And I just want to say once again, Wes, thank you for doing oh, that. It was my, my pleasure. 
Well, um, Wes, you've written a couple of books, and again, I want to kind of spend a little bit of time talking about your 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 career here for the sake of, of those who don't yet know who you are, because we've had the, the lovely privilege here recently of interviewing some great CEOs. You retired from Lanier when you guys sold the company, is the way I understand it, about 2001. That's is that correct. right? And at that time, sales were above the one billion dollar mark with a B. That's right. We were one point four uh, billion at that time. I only I only so sold West, about four hundred million of that. I can't take all the credit. That was only, <laughs> I only I only had a piece of that. <laughs> but Wes, let's go back because you know a lot of people listen to a podcast like this. They may own a business. Uh, they may not yet own a business. But the heart of of the Nourish the Dream podcast listener is is at least one of the elements in the heart of a Nourish the Dream podcast listener is to honor God in our work, to honor God in our business lives, to see God's kingdom expand. And, uh, and that was really how you approached your entire career, am I right? Uh, yes, that's, that is exactly correct. There were varying degrees of um, activity in that regard in the early part of my career because I'd not really understood that God was interested in business at all. And it was when I was about 30 years of age when I had a wake-up call. And um, first of all, I'd just become a district manager. I was failing. And I heard this message called uh, Heaven on Earth, and the, the message was about how to allow the Lord to come in and actually rule and dominate and, and give directions and control, really, every aspect of your life, including business. And up until that time, I'd kind of neatly uh, boxed him out of my career. I, I thought, this workplace is kind of, you know, ugly, and how could he possibly be interested in this? <laughs> and then I found out, yes, that's where he wants to express himself through all of us who work in business. I also came to the realization that uh, there is uh, no separation in what we call full-time Christian work. In other words, we think of ministers and uh, missionaries as full-time uh, ministers, and the rest of us, you know, just go out and work for a living. Found out that all of us who are really uh, followers of Christ are in full-time ministry, whether we realize it or not. We're supposed to be in full-time ministry, and he wants to express himself in the marketplace. And as Dr. Blackaby has said so many times, you know, that is a place where he's very, very active today. And unfortunately, you hardly ever hear a sermon where the pastor talks about all of us who go out and are going to spend 100,000 hours of our life in something called our work, mm. uh, and they never really express that. They never really include that in the sermons. And uh, I've always wanted to find a message uh, where that would happen, to hear a message where that would happen, but it just doesn't happen. It's always something else. So I'm doing some math here, Wes. You, were, you said that you were 30 at the time, so... Um, Lightning fast with a calculator here. That puts the year at somewhere around 1966 that you got this message. I want to know who was preaching that kind of message in 1966. Where did you hear so that? The guy, the evangelist named Mike Gilchrist. Hmm. Uh, he was kind of a traveling evangelist down in Louisiana. And I was in Baton Rouge at the time. And uh, Mike is, is uh, gone on to be with the Lord now. But uh, we became uh, very, very uh, good friends. And he had a unique way of expressing that great truth. And uh, he recommended a book, uh, which I would recommend to anyone. Uh, it was written back in the late 1800s, I think about 1880 or something like that, uh, called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. And it was written by a lady named Hannah Whitehall Smith. Hmm. And you know, Absolutely. I started wondering, why did she call it The Christian Secret? And the reason she called it a secret is just what we're talking about here. Most of us go through life and never discover it. You know, that's why it's called a secret. I mean, so how many Christians do you know that, uh, uh, and I liked what your friend uh, out in Phoenix gave us a little talk to about one time about 
while we were out there about talk, calling ourselves followers of Christ rather than Christians. I've been using that because I think it has it has some cred. You know that uh, in the marketplace, if you say I'm a Christian, a lot of people may look at you like you've got some kind of disease uh, or something, or they say, you know, they tie it to some denomination that they've had a bad experience with. But if you say I'm a, a Christ follower, that kind of diffuses that and gives you an opportunity to, and perhaps to be a little bit more effective. So I like, what was his name, the uh, guy that was with us in Phoenix, the, uh, the Italian dude? Yeah. Oh, you're talking about Jesse DiMartino. Jesse DiMartino, yeah. My, my buddy Jesse, Jesse yeah. yeah, we... we We've done some teaching together, and and, uh, and what a fantastic guy. But yeah, you're right. It it changes the dynamic a little bit. But you started with with uh, Lanier in, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was about 1955. That's correct. Yeah. And you were a field repair technician working on dictation equipment back in dictation the day. Dictation and right? copies. We had we just gotten our first copiers from 3M, the old Thermofax copiers. And okay, so so and those were the ones that Dean was complaining about a minute ago, right? Or some no, some variety of those. Version of that, which is, I mean, when he yeah. said that this copier literally made a copy, and I don't think I don't know if he was trying to be funny or not, but we often laughed during the years following that we we learned to be good salesmen because we sold copiers that wouldn't make a copy. <laughs> no, no, I was definitely trying to be facetious there, Wes, because it, it was exactly. a little ridiculous back then. Uh, so, but you, you, over your career, just for the sake of people listening, you worked your way up from that field repair technician in Louisiana all the way up to, or was that Mississippi that you started in? No, it was Louisiana where I started. It, it was Louisiana. I moved to Mississippi and then you, for the next version of my career, which is where I went into sales as well as service. And then you ended your career having been the CEO of the company for, what, maybe about 14 yeah, years? Yeah, that happened that in and uh, prior to, to becoming the CEO, you were the president of the company, and, and so you would have been the president of the company when Dean worked there. I became president in yeah. 1977. And in our previous conversations, Wes, you've had some really strong things to say about why it is that you believe the company was successful when you were president and later CEO. Can you can you talk about that a little bit in terms of, of how you view that from a spiritual standpoint? I believe probably the uh, most um, important thing was the uh, focus that we put on uh, customer satisfaction. And uh, uh, the reason that became such a motivating factor is because, as Dean would realize, is in the copier business you've got uh, an awful lot of dissatisfaction, dis dissatisfied customers, particularly if you go back into the 80s. Uh -huh. uh, and when we got on that track uh, and we started measuring uh, what people felt about their copiers, we found that they were... Like 40, only 47% of our customers said they would buy from us again, which is a horrible thing. Right. And uh, since copiers are typically replaced every three to five years, uh, it seemed like you were just, you know, asking for trouble if you didn't win the uh, customer's loyalty. And so uh, that really came from uh, a scripture verse that was kind of embedded in my heart from uh, my high school years, and that was a good name is rather to be chosen rather than great riches. Proverbs 22.1, and the idea of having a good name in business and also saying this is more important than making money, to be chosen rather than get riches. This is more important than just making money. Most of the employees, if you said, what's the purpose of a company like Lanier, they'd say, well, it's just making money. That's what it's all about. That's all we do. We make money. And, of course, the company does have to make money in order to survive, but if that is the sole purpose, 
that can lead to all kinds of things, many of which are not very good, not very wholesome. And so when I became CEO, we were able to refocus the company. Not that the company wasn't really into customer satisfaction before, but not in the way that we did it. I mean, we really made it a central focus of the entire, uh, the purpose of the company. And uh, our loyalty ratings went up from uh, 47% to in the low 90s when I, uh, uh, when I retired. And wow. in fact, two years after I retired, we ran the uh, uh, J.D. Power Award for the, uh, having the best customer satisfaction in uh, the copier business. So we really made remarkable, remarkable progress. That and sounds like um, about a 100% improvement to me. That's exactly right. I wow. Mean, um, you know, I, was in, I remember being in San Francisco one time, Dean, and I called on this big customer. I think it was Pactel. And I asked the guy, I, we were dealing with a purchasing guy, and I said, well, uh, what, copier is, what, what copier is your favorite copier? And he said, we just buy the one with the best service because they're all the same. Mm. And he said, copiers are just nothing but trouble. He said, they sit there, they got all this black powder in them. <laughs> they, you got this paper sluicing through there. And you got this black powder. It's a recipe for something to go wrong. And so he said, unless the service is good, he said, they're all the same. He said, yeah, I don't care what brand it is, they're all the same. And I really listened to him very carefully, and it really impacted me what he said, because I said, I believe that might be uh, a compact version of the general attitude of customer towards copiers out there. Because, you know, we did... Dean, I don't know, you probably made a living by trading in other brands of copiers. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, I could tell you the features still today, Wes, of the reason why they weren't all the same, because we had edge-to-edge -edge copy. We had a straight paper path with a clamshell design. I mean, I could go on, but sure. yeah. I, I digress. <laughs> but yes, we all I, learned how to do that. <laughs> we all know that they aren't the same, but anyway. <laughs> they aren't the same. No, and we knew that, but I didn't argue with this customer because, you know. Right. Argue with the customer. Somebody's told me one time you argue with the customer, you lose the sale. Always so, lose. Uh, yeah. That's some, some, some kind of old ancient sales training. Uh, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, <laughs> we, we really turned that around and we focused the entire company. And one of the things that we did in that process is we got everybody in the company by having a really good internal program. And, you know, David, you, earlier you and I were talking about naming things. And, and uh, we came up with a name for this and we called it Customer Vision. Mm. And what we did is we, we gave it a definition, which is uh, meeting or exceeding the customer's expectations uh, in every aspect of his relationship with us. And then, you know, it related to all kinds of retraining the service people in their customer relations skills, retaining, retraining the sales force in their customer training, uh, train, uh, retention skills, and their making sure that they didn't misrepresent anything to the, to the uh, customer because when you do that, uh, you're not going to have a loyal customer. You know, you're going to sit there and say, well, this thing works, but, boy, the guy lied to me, you know. Uh, <laughs> so those are the things that that was probably the most exciting transition that I was able to see on my watch, and it came at the time that we had built uh, uh, Harris, 3M, and Lanier all into one company in 1987. Wow. And uh, so I had about uh, 350 or 400 people that come down uh, that were from uh, 3M company, and I had a few from Harris, a handful, just a small, and then I had all these, like, six or 7,000 people from Lanier. And uh, to get them all, the, the, the leaders from each of those groups, representing three <clears throat> very diverse cultures, because Harris was an engineering culture, 3M was a manufacturing and an entitlement-oriented culture. Their employees were had all kinds of benefits that we didn't have, you know, so they felt entitled. And then you had Lanier, which was a sales culture. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to say, how do we get our arms around this and capture and keep all the good that is in all three of these great organizations? 
and they have to throw anything away. And the universal con- uh, consensus was we focus on the customer who we find as the person who buys from us and uses the copier. Uh, it's interesting that the people at Harris uh, felt the shareholder. They felt, you know, you can only have one focus at the top of the TQM chart. You know, there's a little, always the number one thing is said, a customer focus. And uh, many companies don't know who their customer is. Uh, hmm. They think it's the um, shareholders. That's a right. dangerous one. Or they may think it's the employees, which is fine, but but employees don't pay you any money. You don't get any money from them. You know, they take money. And so the focus really has to be on the end user. And in spite of uh, whatever you might think, unless what you're doing is honest and legitimate and is good for the customers. In other words, they pay you money and you give them a product, and it's worth more to them in the usage of the product than what they paid you for it. And it's worth more to you because you sold it to them at a markup. You made a profit. So it's a mutual benefit. What a great relationship. Just a recipe, simple recipe for a real good business. Well, so Wes, that's kind I, of uh, the changes that we brought about. Wow. That's very impressive. I, I got I to gotta say, you know, I've got three departments at my company with 30 employees, customer service, sales, and service. And, you know, I find it sometimes like herding cats just to get those three departments to agree on what's the best for all of us. I can't imagine doing it with three separate companies with 6,000 people. You, you did well, my friend. Well, it is. It was. A, it was an interesting time, and uh, I think they probably nobody when we first announced it. All of us on the management team, we said nobody believes us, and so what will we do to make sure that they believe us? So we had to respond <clears throat> in every situation, like if somebody did something outstanding for a customer. You know, like I had a guy up in Canada that drove like a hundred miles on the weekend to get a customer who needed his copier on the weekend. Mm. And so he drives to this guy's place and gets him back in business and everything. And, and he did it all. He didn't, I mean, he didn't do it for money because I don't think we even paid him, as I recall. We found out about it, and so we gave him uh, what we call the Customer Vision Award. We named it the Customer Vision Award. It was a, um, a gold Customer Vision pen, lapel pen. And I flew to Canada uh, and made the uh, a presentation to him and had it videotaped. We put it in a quarterly videotape that we used to keep all the employees up to date. So I think the essence of it is you've got to have regular communications where uh, the chiefs and the chiefs down the line repeat the same thing over and over and over again, maybe with a little different twist, but you keep on talking about it and you keep rewarding those that do it, and you keep on talking about it, and then everybody begins to see it. They begin to see the benefit of it. They begin to see how easy it is to go back and just do business with the same customers as having to carve brand new ones out of the, out of the street all the time. You know about that, Dean. Right. Uh, all those cold calls that they taught you to do. Did you have a copier in the back of the van? Oh, I had three, my friend. I had three. Three gurneys, three copiers. I was ready for anything. Yeah, so you take this van, you go down the street, you roll that thing in, you plug it in, you give a fantastic demonstration. Some of the demonstrations I've seen on those things are of Broadway quality. I mean, they were absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. I was and the best in our office. Great. I actually, I actually uh, took a Dale Carnegie professional sales course that had 60 people who made their living on commission sales right because of my demo of a i think it was a 516 copier at that time the smallest one we had i won the whole thing in, in front of 60 people voted by wow. my peers as the best salesman in the group congratulations <laughs> well that's we, uh, that's that's wonderful of course those are high pressure things when you're oh yeah with your peers 
And, yep. you know, that these people know a lot about, they understand, like, if you're talking about the five great rules of selling, you know, they're sitting there ticking them off. That's right. Notes and saying, did this guy touch all the bases and, and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, that really is quite quite an accolade. And um, we always said, you know, the, the demo is the thing. And that's why we had vans and we, and yep. we uh, you know, we really, really taught everybody to uh, uh, winter, summer, spring, or fall, Take your demo on every call. You know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, 30 years have gone by, and I, I don't think I could tolerate making a living that way again, Wes, but I wouldn't trade those two years of my life for anything. I agree with you. I, and most people in the copiers got, the, the really full-featured ones got big and heavy. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, became impractical to right. take them to roll them in. So, you know, they, we had other techniques that we used, but... Uh, we had been begin to have a lot of video presentations, uh, but I, I never really liked the video presentation. When salesmen got to the point where every salesman had a laptop, and uh, you know he could demo, and also you could compare your copy with everything else on the market. I never really liked the demo on the laptop because it was it took it out of the it took the showmanship out of the out of the sales reps' hands. Right. And I thought that was uh, I didn't like it, but anyway, it seemed to work. <laughs> We kept, we kept oh. selling products. <laughs> right. And of course, if all your customers continue to buy from you every, every three years and you add to that all the new customers you're taking away from the competition, uh, I mean, it's pretty easy to generate some growth. You know, Absolutely. And, and it's not, I mean, you don't need to get an MBA to figure that out. Uh, well, well, you're, I don't have an MBA and I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but what you're talking about with the customer service side, Wes, you know, the, the showmanship was was just that. That's a great word for it. And, and we took pride in it and came back and told our war stories at the end of the, each day. Right. But it was the service department. Those guys are the ones that kept them coming back, like you're talking about every three to five years, because a guy like a Ray Duckowitz, who was our service manager and was at the same office in Sarasota for over 30 years, um, you know, he's the one that made me look good after the sale, that no customer question. service the the ladies on the phone, the ladies on the phone that would handle the call, the the response time, all those things really cemented the deal. The showmanship was was the fun of it all, of course, for me, but it really was the customer service behind that 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 caused the growth. And on that note, I, I love the fact, Wes, that for you that grew out of the scripture from Proverbs twenty two. Mm that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And, and, and even though I've heard you share that story before, I think something just clicked in me when you said what you did. Our, our reputation, our name, is more important than making money. Right. That's what that, uh, and that's, that's what that scripture says. In business, you have, oh, in salesmanship, you have a choice. You know, a lot of times that choice comes up all the time. Am I just going to book more money, more profit for the company, or am I going to do, on the other hand, do something that protects the good name of the company by doing something for a customer. It may cost the company money. By the way, one of the key things that made this go down with our employees so well is the fact they saw us spend money on just that. Yes. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, and Dean, would, would, he might even, uh, rec- he probably would recognize this. Uh, there was a thing about drums and copiers that were covered by service mm-hmm. contracts. And mm-hmm. the drums back in those days were made of, I believe it was still in the selenium days. Selenium, selenium. yep. Yeah, and then we had to go to organic because selenium was poisonous, and CSRs had to wear um, yeah. gloves. But three hundred dollars, as I recall, back in the day, thirty years ago, yeah. there were three hundred bucks to replace a selenium drone. So what we found during during this period of time, right after nineteen eighty seven, is that 
that we had trained our CSRs to brasso the drum, uh, and, and they could get more life out of it. Mm. So they take the drum out and they scrub it down with brasso, I believe it was, and they put it back in the copy and they get, you know, uh, five, ten thousand more clicks on that particular copy. But the problem was it never was as good as it was when it was new because it had toning in the background. And in our, when we started studying what makes a customer happy, you know, not just asking, are you happy, but really peel the onion back and say, well, what is it that makes you happy? We found the most important thing was, guess what, and this shouldn't be the great revelation, the co- quality of the copy. And they did not like a toner on the background. They liked a crisp black on crisp white copy. Surprise, surprise. Who would have thought of such a thing? And so we decided if we're going to do this, we're going to say to the CSRs, we will replace the drums if the copier doesn't meet specs, if it doesn't meet the spec in terms of the contrast. Mm. And that cost us money. But you see, when that announcement, when that policy went out, we said, no more Brasso. We're not cleaning up these drums. Throw those suckers away. Put new ones in. The customer's bought a service contractor or if he's off service, he's going to pay you for the drum anyway. Just say, we always bring the copier up to spec. So there's an example where they saw us actually spending money to protect our good name. Now that goes down with uh, employees. I mean, they begin to, if you spend money to do something, they may say, well, these guys may be serious about this. Uh, whereas just saying it or having great, uh, you know, presentation or something, uh, they tend to say, well, show me. I'll believe you when you show me. And that's one yeah. of the ways we communicated that through the ranks. I could give you a lot of other examples, but... Uh, um, well, Wes, I, I think that some of what you're sharing today may be a little bit of a sneak peek at your topic next week. And I want to—I just want to take a minute and mention this, and then I'd like us to, to maybe talk a little bit more about some of the books that you've written and, and what your message is today and where your heart is today. But um, you'll be speaking next week, and, and, and as we're recording this here, it is beginning of May. So you will be May 16th through the 18th in Nashville, Tennessee. So I guess it's 16th through the 18th. I'm, I'm going to verify that I have one that is May. Yeah, May 16th through through the 18th. So it's actually a couple of weeks from now in Nashville, Tennessee. Right. Now, what I love about this is that you're going to be with some of our other Nourish the Dream speakers uh, in Nashville. You're going to be at Howard Partridge's event. It's uh, HowardPartridgeRoundtable.com. Today, you want to find out more about this. This is a fantastic event. I was uh, a speaker at Howard's event in February in Houston. And I met then a number of the people that I know will also be with you in Nashville. I've already had conversations with some of these folks, Wes. They're about having you come. But uh, Howard is the exclusive Zig Ziglar small business coach. Tom Ziglar will be there uh, as well. I'm sure Tom will speak. And uh, it's called the Phenomenal Freedom Conference. The reason they call it that is because Howard, as a small business coach, has been uh, living the life of helping business owners become free from slavery to their business. But um, here's what is so exciting. You know, Howard was with us, as, as was Tom, back in Phoenix in January. And Wes, you'll recall that event. Uh, one of the things that came out at that event is just the fact that God is really stirring in people's hearts. And one of the things that we have to do as believers, if we're going to live out the Great Commission that God called us to, he called us to disciple nations, if we're going to live that calling out, then we're going to have to uh, work in a way that's effective. And of course, right. you know, going back to the fishing analogy that Jesus liked to use, you always 
fish with bait that people are that the fish are biting on, right? <laughs> you don't you don't fish with something that they aren't biting on. And today our world needs economic answers. We need solutions, we need leaders, and and God is calling his people to step up in leadership and do the kinds of things that we that we're talking about today. I mean, you know, merging three different cultures together and coming away with something that that goes to the heart of what Jesus said that he who serves best wins. You know, in the kingdom of God, uh, it, we're called upon to serve. Anybody who would be great among you, let him first serve. That's the spirit and the heart that you that you applied to the business at Lanier that caused you guys to end up on top in that industry. And uh, and that's that's <laughs> well, one I'm of the things that I love about that just working with you, Wes. But I'm excited about this event. I haven't yet decided if I'm going to make it. I, I may actually show up, Wes. You never know. We we. I, pre- I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But you'll be there along with uh, some wow. other great folks. Uh, Rick Jones is going to speak. I met Rick. He was a 30-plus year franchise <laughs> right. owner in the Dale Carnegie uh, Carnegie franchise, Dean. So, uh, Dean, he, he probably taught a lot of people that sales training that you went through. Uh, and uh, Rick is a phenomenal guy. He's now part of Howard's coaching team. Uh, a guy by the name of Bill McBean will be there. Wes, you'll be speaking. And uh, there are some others uh, that will be speaking as well that are just absolutely phenomenal. It's going to be a great three-day event. So I want to encourage anybody, if you're thinking about what you can do to bring real value to your business, you want to connect up with Wes Cantrell, you want to be around other godly, kingdom-minded business people, the Howard Partridge Roundtable event is going to be fantastic. It's howardpartridgeroundtable.com. And, uh, of course, Dean, I'm looking forward to the day that that I can drag you to one of our Nourish the Dream events. We'll have Wes, we'll have Tom, we'll have Howard. Uh, we're in the planning stages now for our next one, so I don't want to talk about that just yet. But you guys can catch uh, Wes in Nashville now. Wes, <laughs> since you retired, here's what I love about you. One of the many things I love about I love a lot of different things about you, and you can tell Bernadine I said that, okay? <laughs> but one of the things that I love about you is that you seem to have really dedicated. The, the time in your life here where you could be sitting around <laughs> playing golf, you know, you could be uh, sitting on a beach in Florida, uh, which, by the way, isn't a bad idea. But you, I mean, <laughs> you could be doing just about anything with your life, but you are spending your time and energy writing and mentoring and really pouring the wisdom and the knowledge that you have into the lives of younger business people. And I appreciate you doing that. I know that's always your heart when you come and speak at our events. Everybody is always blessed by what you share. But two things you've written. One is a book by the name of High Performance Ethics you co-wrote. And that's how we met. I was interviewing you and your co-host or your co-author for that book a number of years ago now. But your most recent book is called From the Shop Floor to the Top Floor. Can you kind of give us a quick snapshot of what you think God is is speaking through you to to younger business people today? And I'm thinking about all the things that God taught me during my business career, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if I'd known all these things when I was 30, you know? Because, you see, at 30, when I had that experience we talked about earlier, uh, I didn't realize that the Bible said anything about business, and I made very little application of it, except I know honesty, and certainly you were clear you were clear on that, not stealing from people and uh, being honest and not lying and all those kinds of things. I understood that the Bible spoke about those things, but I didn't understand about specific biblical illustration. So I decided maybe uh, what I could do now that I'm retired and I'm free and I don't have money pressures or anything, uh, I could um, write a book and uh, younger men and women could read this book and they could learn all the stuff that it took me like uh, 30 years to learn. 
uh, 35 years. And uh, it could really give them a head start. So that's how I got started on it. And I also had another, an ulterior uh, motive, which, uh, uh, and it was that I wanted the people at Lanier to understand what had happened because God did some miraculous things in our business. Uh, and yeah. I don't think the people of Lanier understood uh, some of the things that happened were, from a common sense perspective, impossible. And they just happened. Well, you know, I don't know why they happened. And it was that the Lord decided to bless us for various reasons. He has his own reasons to do that. It's what, you know, many are calling now kingdom living. When you move your business over into the kingdom, uh, and, and by the way, Dennis Peacock made a great, great talk on the subject. He probably is the understands more about this concept than anybody that I've, that I've listened to. Uh, but when you move your business into the kingdom, God does miraculous things, like he did with the feeding of the 5,000, like he did with Peter when they went fishing. Mm. And uh, against all odds, they still filled the boat up with fish. And Peter was a fisherman, so Jesus decided to bless his business. Well, those things, are those things all null and void today, or do they still happen? They really happen today. And I have examples of that. Uh, so I put you know, two or three of the examples uh, in the book, uh, and uh, I wanted the employees to know um, when I was writing books, of course, the publishers, they always want to know, well, who's your target audience? Well, if I said just the employees of Lanier, you know, they would say, well, that's fine. That one uh, one publisher actually said, you wrote this for the employees of Lanier, didn't you? It's a publisher. They turned me down because <laughs> <laughs> they figured that was a small audience. You know, it's only uh, 15,000 people or something like that. And they had visions of selling, you know, two or 300,000 books. So um, uh, that was that was the motivation behind it. And as I got into it, you know, I did a lot of research, uh, and I looked for, uh, I really searched diligently for quotes uh, from various sources, not uh, lots, of course, lots of scriptural quotes, but also quotes from other business people, like Michael Pink, uh, your friend there in, uh, in Florida. I thought Michael was, uh, had some ex- ex- extremely creative quotes about uh, business, and I searched for those kinds of things to kind of spice the book up and, and make it good reading uh, for just about anybody at any level. Uh, so that was the motive behind it. And as I've written the book, and I've uh, done quite a bit of speaking around here in Atlanta and other places, too, particularly with you guys, um, uh, and then we teach a Sunday school class, Bernadine and I teach a Sunday school class at our church, and, um, uh, and out of that comes association with a whole lot of business people, mostly from our church, who are small business men and women, who uh, have numerous questions about their business. And so I've wound up with a list of what I call clients. Uh, now, I don't ch- I don't charge anybody this. They just have to buy my lunch, you know, or buy me a cup of coffee. Sometimes, sometimes they come to my house and we drink coffee together and we work. I got one guy that's, he's an electrical contractor. I got a pretty substantial business and uh, he has uh, difficulties from his past. Hmm. And I'm helping him work through that. You know, so... Uh, so, uh, of course, a, a cup of, of coffee can be as much as lunch used to be now. Pardon? Of course, a cup of coffee can be about as much as lunch used to be now. Oh, yeah. That's why my, my buddy calls it four bucks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but listen... Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, Wes, I, I appreciate the fact that you pour in. I know we're all short on time, and so I, I just appreciate you taking some time today. 
I, and I want to encourage if you're listening uh, that you you really do want to get in events. I just came back from an event this weekend that was just stellar. There's there's really nothing that you can say to convey to people the value of getting yourself surrounded with with like-minded people and uh, getting in those. So I want to encourage you if you're listening, visit HowardPartridgeRoundtable.com. We'll link to it with our show notes for today. But also, Wes, you have a free offer, and I appreciate you doing this. You're giving away the talk that you gave in Phoenix, a recording of that for free online. And um, I'm going to give that URL out. It's freecantrell.com slash W. freecantrell.com slash W for Wes. And there you uh, you can just provide Wes your name and email address, and he'll email you a link to the talk, which was called Releasing the CEO Within. Seven Principles of Freedom and Success. That was a fantastic oh, talk, Wes. You always deliver great value to always get a big uh, kick folks who have a chance to hear you. And I want to just thank you for taking some time today to spend with us. Some of the interesting things that happened back in the early 80s. And to think about today that we have real good copiers that really do make copies. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's a great thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just heard today on some newscasts that there are more photographs taken with iPhones than any camera. Now, yeah. now imagine imagine Kodak ever dreaming that could happen. Of course, if they had dreamed it, probably they wouldn't be in bankruptcy right now. I say, of course, they're not around to dream it anymore. But exactly, the technology certainly has changed. <laughs> it really has, it's amazing. But some, but God's word doesn't, right? So there are That's some right. timeless truths in His word That's that true. don't change, and we can apply them today as well as we did thirty years ago. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. That's the essence of high performance ethics, by the way is the fact that for ethical conduct, you need some kind of source other than that's right. uh, the latest magazine you wrote, you know, or, right. or the last movie you saw. And so uh, that's what, we use the Ten Commandments as the basis. Yeah. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic book. And I know you have that book and some other things available on your website. So when people go to freecantrol.com slash W, they can sign up and download that free uh, free talk that you gave, but they can also find your books there. They're also available on Amazon. You got them for the Kindle and all sorts of other uh, fun uh, ways to get access to those. So, listen, uh, Wes, I I hope to see you in Nashville. You never know, I might show up, and uh, I hope you uh, you have a great time there, regardless. And we'll look I forward to seeing you again the next time we run a Nourish Dream event. Because I know you. uh, you're one of the guys. You too, Wes. It's a really, really a pleasure to uh, get to talk with you after all these years. And boy, if that event was in Nashville this weekend, I'd be there because my son graduates from Belmont University Saturday, and. I'm wow. going to be in Nashville, but I'm missing it by a weekend. All right. Well, listen, uh, Dean, thanks again. It's always thanks, a pleasure. David. I know we have more great stuff to Thank come, you. and uh, I'll be looking forward hey, to talking welcome. with you next time on the Nourishing Dream Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Nourish the Dream Podcast with David G. Johnson and Dean Burnside. Make sure to subscribe via iTunes, get email updates, and locate archived episodes at nourishthedream.com. You can also like Nourish the Dream on Facebook and follow us on Twitter to stay connected to strategic fuel for your dream. Invite your friends and colleagues to connect with us as well. This has been a production of Nourish the Dream.